God is love, as we should be as well. It's great to see the pictures of the uh, uh, youth trip. I appreciate all of those who took part in that. Uh, I was all set to raise my hand, stand up and say, I volunteer as tribute for the Hunger Games coming up in May. And then he said a five pound gummy bear for the winter, really? So my hand went real, just kind of like that. But uh, I know that'll be a great trip as well on May 8th. And again, we so much appreciate our parents and other volunteers that are helping with our youth right now. We continue to remember and make progress in our youth minister search process and uh, want to continue to remember uh, the wonderful team that is uh, leading us towards that end. And we know God is going to bring us the right man at the right time, and we are ready for him uh, to do just that. As our shepherd Galen said, we're always grateful to see a good crowd gathered, another good crowd today. We're so grateful to see faces that we haven't seen in a while, and I've seen a few, and that's a great uh, blessing. Uh, My Joycey is here today for the first time in quite a while, and so uh, we're very thankful uh, for that as well, and appreciate all of you who are watching us online and are worshiping the Lord God with us online. We appreciate all of those. Had a wonderful letter uh, from a man in Pennsylvania this past week commenting on the sermon this past Sunday from Romans 13. It was actually an official with one of the cities in Pennsylvania and commented how much he appreciated the, the sermon and the worship service uh, last week. So it is such a great blessing to be able to have fellowship with all of you who are many miles away uh, electronically. And that is, a, uh, that is a great, great blessing. We appreciate all of those who help make that possible. As we've gone through the book of Romans, we're in this section now of Romans 12 through 16 uh, that is really the so what part. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 tell us this great blessing that we have in the gospel, this opportunity Uh, to have the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and only through faith in Christ. And what a great blessing that is. Uh, But that's not where Romans stops. Once it establishes that we have the righteousness of God, then it asks the question, well, so what? And Paul begins to answer that question in chapter 12, verse 1. When he says, therefore, in view of God's wonderful, amazing mercies that he's talked about for 11 chapters, therefore, in view of God's mercies, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Let us live every day to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and to make everything we say and everything we do something that is done because we believe that Romans 1 through 11 is true. And if we believe that we have these incredible blessings through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we actually have the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Christ, then that should affect and inform how we live our lives. And that's Romans 12 through 16. And really, in a sense, that is all of the New Testament. Christian documents written to the church on how to live the Christian life. Um, And Romans 12 through 16 continues that. And then that great verse in Romans 12, verse 2, which follows up that call to be living sacrifices, follows up that call with this. Don't allow yourselves uh, in one translation to let the world squeeze you into its mold, 
instead of conforming to the ways of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It builds on what Jesus said in the Gospel of John in those last few chapters when he was alone with his disciples just before he was killed. And he told them there were two things that he said that people are going to look at you and they're going to know that you're my disciple. One of them is that you love one another. And that's John 13, and we're going to talk about that one today. Another one is that you are united, that you have unity with one another. And that's in his prayer in John 17. And we're going to talk about that one in light of Romans 14 and 15 the next two weeks. One way the world tries to squeeze us into its mold is to get us to act in unloving ways. One of the ways that the world tries to get us to conform to its ways rather than allowing ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Christ, it tries to move us away from God, move us away from Christ and the fruit of the Spirit by encouraging us to act in unloving ways. And for some strange reason or another, sometimes we feel like that we're justified in doing so. And the truth is, we are not. The truth is, we are never justified to act in unloving ways. Well, let's look at that a little bit from the perspective of uh, these two paragraphs that we'll look at today from Romans chapter 13. First of all, righteousness living is loving others. If you're not loving others, then you're not righteousness living. <laughs> You're not doing what Romans 12 says we're to do. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And it's interesting that that statement comes right on the heels of Romans 13, 1 through 8. That talks about how we are to be subject to the governing authorities the civil authorities, and that we should be willing to pay what is owed, whether it's respect or uh, prayer or taxes. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. And maybe you would say what he's about to say, and maybe you wouldn't. But this is how Paul sums up the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. As you know, it's what Jesus called the second great commandment. When asked what the first was, he said to love God. Right out of Deuteronomy 6, when asked what the second is, it's this one, love your neighbor as yourself, right out of Leviticus 19. And Paul says, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love catches everything. <laughs> and so you can turn through the pages of the Bible to find out if the unloving thing you're about to do is okay or not. <laughs> Is this actually condemned in scripture? Because if it's not, then yay, I can do it. <laughs> but that, there's a deeper question than just that one. And that is, is it acting in love? Is it harming your neighbor? 
Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Righteousness living is loving others. And so love always acts in the best interest of the neighbor. We sang the song, beautifully done, by the way, well done. Love one another. Taken from several scriptures, including some of the ones we're talking about today, some of the ones that are listed on your handout there. From 1 John 3 and 4, John 13, that passage I mentioned, where Jesus says, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, saying, look, they're not going to believe that you actually love God, whom you haven't seen, if you don't love your neighbor and your brother and your sister whom you have. It doesn't work that way. God is love, John says in 1 John 3 and 4. And so therefore, those who act and live in love are the children of God. As our brother Kelly Monahan shared with us around the table today that wonderful story of someone who is blind and yet could see what no one else could, could hear what no one else could, and how God is like that with us. He sees what no one else sees, and he hears what no one else hears. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us, and he has called us to love one another with the same kind of love. Love always acts in the best interest of the neighbor. And if you're asking, who is my neighbor? You're asking the wrong question. (laughs) And that's been tried. You know, Jesus in that story of uh, that interaction with the religious leader, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew shares that, Mark shares that, but Luke shares that a little bit differently. In Luke chapter 10, Luke has that same interaction But there's one more question. There's a follow-up question to what is the greatest commandment in the law. And then Jesus says, love the Lord your God with everything you have, your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then this man in Luke 10 asks, who is my neighbor? And that is what gives us that great, great parable, the parable of the good Samaritan which as you know, doesn't answer the man's question at all. It doesn't address the question of who is my neighbor because that is the wrong question. What the man is asking there is sometimes what we try to ask God too, and that is who do I have to love? Or we think of that person that's mean to us or cruel to us or that we don't like or that's far different from us and we want to ask God, do I have to love them? And just like he does with that man, God says, wrong question, wrong question. How about, Bill, you ask this question instead. What, is, what loving thing can I do for that person that I'm so challenged to love? That's the right question. The man's question gives us that great parable. And at the end, Jesus asks him a question as God is so prone to do, asking questions of us, getting us to look at the important things that he already sees and knows. But then Jesus asked the man the question in Luke 10, which one was neighborly? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Which one acted in love? And he says, well, the man who helped him can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. 
Well, it was a man who helped him. And then Jesus challenges him and says, go and you do the same. Don't ask if they deserve my love. Don't ask if they're going to love me back. Don't ask if they're on my side. You ask, what loving thing can I do for them today? And do that. Many of you know that the man who uh, baptized, taught and baptized both Joyce and me when we were in high school and uh, married us our second, after our second year of college, Ron Clayton, a longtime missionary to India. Many of you know that he passed away recently. But a few years back, he wrote this. E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India years ago, reportedly asked Mahatma Gandhi what he thought professed Christians should do in order to make Christianity widely received by Indians. This is what the great Indian leader said. I would suggest, first of all, that all of you Christians must begin to live more like Jesus Christ. Second, I would suggest that you must all practice your religion without adulterating it or toning it down. Third, I would suggest that you must put your emphasis on love. For love is the center and soul of Christianity. Ronnie writes, it really does not matter who said what Gandhi said. He spoke the truth. The fact that Gandhi was not a Christian, in his own words, was because he had seen the lifestyles and actions of too many of those who professed to be Christians. What a tragic, tragic statement. This is also a powerful indictment against professed disciples of the Lord who are not careful about the influence they wield. People can see whether we love others or not. They see it and they know it. And right or wrong, they're going to judge not just our church, but Jesus Christ by what they see in us if they're not a follower of, of, of his yet. In an article by Doug Cody, Choose Love, from a few years back, he writes this. The question we need to ask ourselves today is, when others look at us, do they see God's love? And that's an important question to dwell on for a moment. When others look at us, do they see God's love? Can they see the change he's made? Do they know that we're followers of his Jesus said they'll know you're Christians if you love one another. When we receive God's love, it changes us, and the evidence shows up in our words and actions. It empowers us. His love takes us to new levels and becomes clear to the people around us. Best of all, when his love shows through us, it draws others to God too. And so when others look at us, do they see God's love? Do they see God's love in the way we use our gifts and the life and ministry and relationships within the church? That's Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. When others look at us, do they see God's love in how we act in political discussions? That's Romans 13, 1 through 7. When others look at us, do they see God's love in how we treat our brothers and sisters with whom we disagree, sometimes strongly? That's Romans 14 and 15. Or when they look at us, do they see us acting just like people in the world act? Righteousness living is loving others. Secondly today, righteousness living is looking ahead, but living faithfully today. 
And that's Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And if someone asks you, when is, the, when is the Lord coming? That's a great answer, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure exactly when, but I know it's closer than it used to be. <laughs> verse, verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Righteousness living is looking ahead, but living faithfully today. We've sung this great hymn when we all get to heaven and we'll sing another verse of it in just a little bit. And Galen and his prayer reminded us of that wonderful vision of heaven that John sees in the end of Revelation, that place where there's no more tears and there's no more arguing and there's no more hurt and there's no more pain and there's no more death. And we see that and we know that that's a reality and we know that it is just as real now if it was already here, but it causes us to live differently today. And that's why God gives us that vision so that we can see what's ahead and let that impact how we live today. Righteousness living is looking ahead, but living faithfully today. And so he shares some general statements about that in verses 11 and 12. Understand the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The way Jesus put it is watch, be watchful, be ready. When they asked him the when question, that was the answer he gave them. You be ready, whenever it is. Maybe it's by the end of Bill's sermon today. And some of you are thinking, yeah, you've had some pretty long ones recently. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. (laughs) And maybe it's 2,000 more years. I believe very strongly that either one of those could happen and be the case. The question is, will I be ready? And the answer to that question is, am I watchful? Am I ready? Am I alert? Am I doing what this passage says? Putting aside the deeds of darkness and putting on the armor of light. That's why we have all those wonderful heaven passages that are listed on your handout and others as well. It calls us to live a certain way today. We live faithfully today because we're looking ahead. And so that leads us to some specific examples in verses 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, this is a working out of what he said in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Not letting the world squeeze us into its mold. Offering up our bodies, our lives, our everyday life as a living sacrifice. Maybe not called upon to die for Jesus, but how about this even harder, living for Jesus. Taking up your cross, denying yourself and following Jesus. Instead of demanding your rights, voluntarily 
cheerfully, thankfully giving up your rights. That's what Jesus did. And now he's called on us to do the same thing. That's what it means to offer yourself, your body, your life as a living sacrifice. And so we clothe ourselves with Christ. Verse 14 says, remembering other great passages on Christian baptism, such as Galatians 3 and Romans 6 and the others that are listed there. Clothe yourselves with Christ. The one who has been baptized has clothed themselves with Christ. They've put on Christ. And it's interesting in this passage that in verse 13, there are three groups of two. Perhaps you noticed that. That get a little bit specific. The general statement is, let us behave decently as in the daytime. But then he offers three sets of two that tell us a little bit about what that means. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in uh, carousing and drunkenness, not in dissension and jealousy. And it's that last one that we think is out of place, don't we? Yeah, sexual immorality needs to be on that list, Bill. Yeah, sure, of course, drunkenness needs to be on that list, Bill. But the last two seemingly don't belong. They, They seem out of place. Or that's what we'd like to think anyway. You see, we don't see dissension and jealousy as being as evil and sinful as sexual immorality and drunkenness. But let me tell you, God does. God does. Scripture in several places speaks out against division, speaks out against envy and jealousy, speaks out against dissension causing division within the church body. And those passages are a great warning. Because if you can imagine your, what you think of as the most heinous, the worst sin that you can imagine, whatever it might be, murder, adultery, homosexuality, whatever it might be, jealousy and envy and causing division in the eyes of God is every bit as bad. And that's why Paul rattles off this list one to the other because they're all the same. They're all carousing. They're all drunkenness. They're all sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy. They're all the same. They're all the opposite of behaving decently as in the daytime. God sees them all the same. These are the ones the Holy Spirit centers on for the next two chapters in some of the most challenging teaching of the New Testament. Not the sexual immorality, not the drunkenness. What he zooms in on for two whole chapters is dissension and jealousy. And that's what we will see in the next two lessons on Romans 14 and Romans 15. We hear that call not to engage in dissension and jealousy. We hear that call to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus. We hear that call to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to not act the way the world acts when we have disagreements, when we don't like something that's going on. 
People will know if we're followers of Jesus by how we act and how we speak and how we handle ourselves in those situations. Anybody can be kind and respectful and considerate and loving when they like what's going on, when they like what someone is saying. The difference for the Christian is we treat everyone that way, even the ones we disagree with, especially the ones we disagree with. And that's what makes us different. We pray for our civil authorities and speak of them respectfully, whether we agree with their policy or not. We may, we may act in order to make our country better by doing those things such as peaceful protesting, writing letters, running for office, just as we said last week. But where we draw the line is acting and speaking in unchristian ways. Because their behavior and their policy and their treatment of us does not determine that. Jesus dying on the cross is what determines that. And so now we do not behave indecently. We do not behave as if Jesus were never coming again. We behave today as if we believe what we sang about earlier. That when he comes again, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Why? Because we have lived our lives as if we believe that day will come. Righteousness living is loving others. Righteousness living is looking ahead, but living faithfully today. And so what does it take to act faithfully in a selfish, unloving society? It's hard because you see the opposite all around you. You get treated the opposite. What does it take to act faithfully in a selfish, unloving society? First of all, it takes a heavenly view. It takes seeing that picture of Jesus coming for us and rejoicing when we all get to heaven, when all the pain and all the tears and all the death is gone. But it also takes an act of love. Because we believe in that heavenly view, because we believe that Jesus will one day return, we live accordingly. And that means we live with an active love. Not like the world loves, but the way Jesus loved us. Not the current cultural understanding of a simply romantic love based solely on selfish desires and feelings. Rather, an agape love the love that puts Jesus on the cross, the love that calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, the love that calls us to act in the best interest of our neighbor, the love that calls us to put their preferences and their needs and their desires above our own. Too many times we think we can choose who we have to love. And that's the question, who is my neighbor? The call to love includes those with whom we have sharp disagreement and conflict, even those who are our enemies. I am convinced that for many of us, it would be easier to die for someone than to do what Paul in Romans is telling us to do, to be a living sacrifice, to fulfill the law of love, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to do what this wonderful graphic reminds us to do, and that is to live a life of love. Not that romantic, 
feelings-based love, but the love that acts in the best interest of someone else in spite of our feelings. Because Jesus loved us with that kind of love. Righteousness living can be summed up the same way the Old Testament law was with what Jesus called the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It is this same love that Christ had for us when he gave his life for us. He knew this would be hard for us and that at times we would fail and fail miserably, and we do. And that's why righteousness living stems from and comes from the righteousness of God that comes by the blood of Christ through faith and the response of faith. That's why the book of Romans begins with the righteousness of God in chapters 1 through 11 before it calls us to righteousness living in chapters 12 through 16. Today we hear the call to die to sin, to be buried with Christ through baptism into death, and to be raised to live a new life, a different life. Today we hear the call to be baptized into Christ that we might clothe ourselves with Christ and become a new creation. Today we hear the call to righteousness living by obeying the second great commandment and follow the example of our Lord and love our neighbor as ourselves. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand, sing our song together.